Good morning. Today we are looking at the last part of our new vision statement as a church. And the vision statement, and I hope that one or two of you may be able to say it at this point, is that we are encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. And two weeks ago we talked about what does it mean to be a community that stands in courage. That the default for all of us in different segments of our hearts and different segments of our mind is not to live in courage, but it's to live in fear. Fear is the natural default by which many of us operate, all of us operate in different ways. And what does it mean to be a community that stands together in courage? We talked last week about what does it mean to follow Jesus, to encourage one another to follow Jesus, and to end today of talking about how we do that wherever we live, work, and play. And this is really this morning about perspective, the perspective you have on your life. Do you have the right perspective on your work, on where you live, on how you spend your time? Bill Hybels is a pastor in Chicago that writes about perspective when he talked about how one day he was invited by a member of his congregation. I want you to know I'm totally open for this, if any of you are uh, available. He had a member of his congregation who's a licensed pilot that would go flying a lot, and he invited Bill Hybels to go flying, if you're really licensed. If you're not, if if you're like, you just think you can do it, I don't want to do that. If you're really licensed, uh, be totally up for it. I think, you know, as long as there's a parachute. But, the, um, but he, he went flying around Chicago, and then they went over Lake Michigan. And he said as they were going over Lake Michigan, he looked down, and there were all these sailboats in the water. And he said that as he looked down, uh, all these sailboats were looking out on the horizon, and he was looking out on the horizon, and then all of a sudden a storm was coming across Lake Michigan. And he said that that's one of those moments when you're sailing a boat that you have to make a decision, that the captain has to make a decision about do we sail through the storm? Is it small enough to sail through it? Or if it looks too big, we need to turn around and go back to, to land, go back to safety. And he said that from the perspective of the people in the boat, that it looked like a big storm and that everybody was turning around and heading back to shore. But he said from where he was, a few thousand feet up, he could tell that the storm actually wasn't all that big or all that bad. And he said he wonders how many times in our life you and I see storms or choppy waters and that we automatically return to safety and return toward shore where if we saw it from a different perspective, we'd be going, don't turn around. Don't turn around. It's not not that it's going to be great going through the storm, but you're going to get through it and then you can keep going on the smooth waters on the other side. He said perspective makes all the difference. This is about the perspective of how we see our lives. What does it mean to follow Jesus where we live, work, and play? It's asking the question of, do you see your life from God's perspective? Do you see your work from God's viewpoint? What does God have for you to do at work or in school? Why does God have you in the school that you're in? Why does God have you living in the neighborhood where you live? What might God's call be upon you when you're playing tennis or at the club? You see, you and I usually have the perspective, and we in our country have been just inoculated to this because it's so normal. But the ways that we have started to operate is that we don't see a holistic picture of life. We live our lives in these fragmented parts and parcels. We have our church hat that we wear. We approach faith that way, and we kind of have our our, our church stuff that we do, and we kind of talk a certain way when we're in small group or in Sunday school, and we hear about the Bible lessons, and we do that. But then we got to wake up tomorrow and go to work, Right? And at work, it's not that you want to be totally different, but sometimes you just got to make some decisions, right? Like sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Sometimes the company you work for may not have the most kingdom-minded of values. You're just working there, right? You're not shaping the values. It's like, hey, that's just what I got to do to provide. So we have to kind of 
rearrange our hats a little bit when we go there. And then we kind of move on to, to our neighborhoods and how we think about that. And it's like, man, at the end of a busy day, all I want to do is retreat behind a screen for a little while and have kind of a few hours to turn off. And so, or at least just have my kids turn off for a few hours. And so I'm just going to kind of do that and try to have some peace and quiet. And then I have like this other hat that I wear when I'm with my friends or I'm out at Friday night or when I'm at a UT game or wherever it is at the park, wherever it is that we play. We have these kind of different ways of seeing our life, right? The way I best thought about it was the newspaper in the town where I grew up, and this is whether you looked online or whether you got the actual paper part of the newspaper, um, that there was a, a paper that would arrive seven days a week at your house. Okay? And it would always be divided into sections. There was news, and there was sports, and there was entertainment. In the Atlanta paper growing up, one day a week there would be an added section. It was called the faith and values section. And that was the one day a week. We didn't need to talk about faith and values the other six days of the week. It was one day a week when we would talk about faith and values. And it was always right after world news, and it was the section right before sports. And I think that what you and I have learned to do, we've been so enculturated in this, that that's just kind of how we think about things, Right? We've got our Sundays, and we wake up, and maybe if we're really committed, we'll do a small group too, and that takes up like another couple of hours of the week, and then it's like, but Sunday mornings happen, you know, at a certain time. It happens after the world news. We wake up, we see what's going on in the world, and please don't preach too long because the NFL's kicking off soon. It's right before sports, right? And we sort of check our box, and we do our thing, and then we move on with it, and we then live these fragmented lives. We have a fragmented approach to faith. Sociologists tell us that when they do studies of people living in 2016 in America, they find people, and some of you may relate to this, I know I can, who most days go to bed feeling tired, who feel stressed, who feel hurried, who feel fragmented, who feel frazzled, who feel like they're trying to do a hundred different things and they're not doing any of them very well. Does that sound familiar? He said that this is the world we live in today. This is how we go to bed at night. This is what we often feel like. And it's no wonder that we feel fragmented and frazzled when that's the philosophical approach we take to our day. I got my life in my church, and I got my life at work, and I got my life with my friends, and I got my life when I'm with my college buddies, and I got my life when I go to the UT game. I got these different hats that I wear, and we just become experts at kind of putting these different hats on in different ways. Asking the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus where you live, work, and play, is a call upon all of our lives to approach life holistically. To approach life through a single set of lens rather than my school hat, my work hat, my faith hat, and everything else. To saying that God has a reason that you are living the life that you are living right now. God has an intention and a design for where you work, for where you live, for where you play. And what does it mean to follow Jesus in those places? What does it mean to have God's perspective on why you are where you are? To live a holistic life rather than a fragmented existence. That's the call that's before us here. To understand a little bit more of what that's like, we're going to look at two verses today from Luke chapter 9. This is the place in Scripture where Luke, for the for Luke records for the first time Jesus sending out the disciples, sending out the original 12, okay? So this is the first time, and he's going to do this over and over again, where he sends them out away from him to go and proclaim the good news. Just like he sends you out seven days a week, he's sending them out here. And I want you to pay attention to what he says they're to do, because it probably breaks a lot of stereotypes that we have about what we're supposed to live like as Christians seven days a week. Luke 9, 1 and 2. 
Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would mold and shape each of us, our minds and our hearts, to be followers of you with every moment of our life and to have the joy of knowing we're living with purpose. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is what he's called him to do. He's essentially just saying to him, you need to go out and you really need to do two things. You need to proclaim the kingdom of God and you need to be an agent of healing. Healing in a broken world, healing in broken families, healing in the broken relationships of life. You need to be an agent of healing in school and work in your neighborhood. This is part of why we got you to do the cards this week. And I know because I got a lot of conversations this week about the cards. I know that for many of you, this was a really heavy week. I know it was a really heavy week. I had a lot of great conversations around this, and I had one person who even said, I had no idea of the struggles that I had until I had to start writing them down. I would never have thought I struggled with repetitively with some of the stuff that I wrote down, because we said last week, our brains are wired to just push news away from us that we don't like. We are wired to forget about ourselves the things we most need to confess. And so we had, when you write it down in the moment, you're like, wow. And then that's like, in one day, I filled up the card. Wow. And I didn't even probably write everything down because I didn't take the car with me to lunch or to other places, right? It's, and I even know some people started calling it their sin card. And it was in sense. We were on one side writing down the places where we sin, and that's important. But as I kept writing to people or talking to people on the phone, it's like, remember to turn the card over. Because the other side of the card that was written down was God's response to you. Every time we are broken, every time we sin, every time we fall short, God's response is not to look at you and go, that's right, you're really messed up. It was that God's response is to look and say that you are my beloved. You are loved. You are forgiven. You don't need to be afraid. Come follow me. This is the good news. And if you did this, if you took this seriously, yes, it can be heavy, but that's how good the news is because God looks at us today and sees people that, yes, who sin and, yes, who give into temptation and, yes, who do what is wrong and fail to do what is right. We do that every day. We're going to do it again this week. We're that broken. But then when God looks at us today, God doesn't see broken, faulty people. What God sees is people who are credited with the righteousness of his beloved son. That's what Paul says. It's amazing. That when God looks at you today, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus that is credited to you. And when you sit on the front side of that card and go, no, 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 this is the story of my life. These are the things I do wrong that I don't even admit to people. These are the things I wouldn't want broadcast. And you turn around and God says, no, my love and grace is bigger than anything you wrote. You are my beloved. That is healing. That is good news. That is forgiveness. is forgiveness. And so what's happening in this passage is that Jesus is then saying, what I'm asking you to do is don't live as a hypocrite. Don't realize that you're broken and in need of forgiveness and then go out into the world and deny a broken and hurting world the grace and forgiveness that I've shown you. I'm asking you to be an agent of healing, of forgiveness, of grace, of reconciliation, these are the things you've experienced with me. We're not encouraging one another, another to be good religious people to live moral lives. That's not our vision. Our vision is to encourage one another to follow Jesus, to experience grace, and then to live that out wherever we live, work, and play. It's a holistic picture of life. You are to be an agent of what you've received from God. 
And that's all Jesus is asking them to do. That's what he's asking you to do. So how do we do that? How do we become agents of healing in Austin, Texas? How do we become people that stand for something that is good and eternal and of the kingdom in this world? Because many of us aren't sure. We talked last year in the capital campaign about the need and the, the creation of this Institute for Missional Leadership, which we've talked about. Why do we do that? Well, because there are a lot of people who, who have said in various ways, I don't know what it means to follow Jesus at work. I know in Austin, Texas, the moment I identify as a Christian, for almost everyone I live around and work around, a wall goes down in front of them at that point. And I know I don't want to be one of those kinds of Christians, and so I don't really know what to do. So I try to be really nice, and I try to be really nice, and then I try to be nice. And these are the things I try to do, because then they'll know that we are Christians because we're nice. How do we start retraining our brains of what it means to be healers? Because here's the thing, guys. God has uniquely made you, and this is really important you hear this. Learning to follow and even witness to Jesus seven days a week in the world where you live, work, and play is not a formula. There are people who have made a lot of money off books in the past of the four steps to taking Jesus into work. You know what? It never worked, and it doesn't work now. It's just that now our society's honest enough that the, your coworkers are going to look at you going, I don't actually want to hear it, right? They, they, they felt like they would go to hell or something if they said that 15 years ago. Now they're just like, I don't actually want to hear it. It never worked before. This is not a formula. Think about it this way. If you look at this passage, Jesus sends these 12 out to different villages, and he doesn't give them a script. He doesn't, they don't walk into a village going, and so I am proclaiming the good news, and all who are healing come to this this side. It doesn't work that way. And he just says, you just got to go figure it out. You just got to go figure it out. And so they probably, if we look at the Gospels, they probably did it their own way, right? Peter just probably charged in because he's Peter and made about 80 mistakes and offended people along the way. But he was just kind of doing it because that's what Peter does. And he was the first one and he probably charged the hardest and blah, blah. John and James, we don't know what they did. They're always kind of more quiet than Peter whenever they show up. They're just like the sons of Zebedee. They're kind of mentioned along with Peter, but we don't really know what they did. Thomas, doubting Thomas, he might have walked into the village going, I don't think this is going to work. I'll be honest with you guys. I don't think I can do this. I'm pretty certain this isn't going to work, but I kind of, I don't know. Let's just so I give it a try and see. Every one of them did it their own way because they were a unique person. We need to kind of rethink, not learning a formula as to what this means. We need to reject the formulas that have like those negative stereotypes. And you need to start thinking about what is the unique way you're created to live this out. In the unique place where you live and work and play, you are going to have your own way of doing this. And so we need to create here the kind of place where we start cultivating creativity. We start cultivating exploration. We start cultivating sharing of ideas and figuring this out. And so I'm excited to let you know that we are actually, as a church, going to have a new opportunity to do this. We have been invited, and the session has been deliberating and has decided to accept the opportunity to be a part of a new learning cohort that is going to be run by Fuller Theological Seminary. It's going to start in a couple of weeks, and every single one of you is going to be invited to get involved. This isn't for, like, a select few people in the church. This is going to be something that over the next two years we are going to be a part of, and it's not going to be a one of like 470 things we do here, which we specialize in, right? This is going to be a big part of our life for the next couple of years. And Fuller is going to be inviting us 
and two other congregations in Texas to be a part of learning how we create these sort of environments where we encourage people to start asking the question, how do I live this out in Austin, Texas? How has God wired me? How can we learn in this? So in two weeks, a few of us are going away, and it's going to work like concentric circles. It's going to start with six of us who are being invited on an initial retreat. After a number of months of our training, and I'm excited to go learn because I don't have the answers to all this, it's going to move out, as with these other congregations, to our staff, the rest of our staff and our elders, and they're going to be a part of it. And then after a number of months of training, it's going to move out again, and it's going to start involving wider and wider circles in this community. You will be invited to participate. You will be invited to ask these questions together, not to learn the rules or the formula, but to begin to figure out what this looks like in your life and to ask those questions of each other. I want to close by saying two things that I know Fuller will be doing as part of this. And one of the things that I invite you to consider this week. The first thing that Fuller is going to tell us is, is that this is not learning a formula. But they're going to say that one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to start sharing stories where we see this happening to fire our own imaginations so that I can hear what Clark's doing or what Thais is doing or what Monique's doing. And it's not that I'm going to do it, but it fires the imagination of what it might look like for me. We're going to have to become really good storytellers at where we see people doing this and seeing God do something special in that. So I've been paying attention to this over the last few weeks. I've been paying attention to the places where I as an individual have been challenged by you of what it means to follow Jesus where you live, work, and play. And it's been inspiring to me as I've actually tried to write this stuff down along with my brokenness on the card. And I write the other stuff down. I have been challenged by many of you who are students and parents Because you did something that we didn't necessarily do when we started school. I know that there are numerous of you that started school and on the first day were walking in having prayed the night before and thought the night before, not about who you were going to be sitting next to in class, not who your friends were going to be, not who you were going to sit with at lunch, but who you could be looking out for in school. Who was the kid that was lonely? Who was the kid that didn't seem to know anybody? Who was the kid that didn't have anybody outside on the playground? And that maybe you were the one to be praying and reaching out to them. That you didn't put on your church hat on Sunday and then start school on Monday wearing a different hat with your school hat and the different rules and everything else. But you started thinking holistically about where you work and where you play and how you could be an agent of God's healing for a lonely or hurting kid in your school. And by doing that, the world changed a little bit. Austin, Texas changed a little bit because you put that hat on and you thought about what it meant. Healing took place. I've been challenged by many of you of what it means to think about where you live as not just a sanctuary from the busyness of the world where I can retreat behind a screen for a little while, but you started thinking about the fact that we need to be people who know our neighbors. I don't know a lot of the people that live right around me. I don't know their names. I wave to them as we're in our air conditioning house and they're leaving their air conditioning house. But what does it mean to actually get to know our neighbors? I know people that have reached out and cooked meals and invited people in to start forming communities so that people realize that this home was a place where conversation and relationship could take place for folks who were lonely. And our city changed a little bit. I know people in this church who in recent weeks have taken in children that were homeless, taken in children who were poor, taking in children who were hurting taking in children and fostered them, adopted children of multiple siblings so that they didn't have to be broken up by the system. People have done that, and nobody is going to write stories or make headlines about that. But people have started asking the question, what if God wanted to use this house for more than just our comfort? What if we started thinking about where we live with this hat of the kingdom and faith, and, and, and lives have been healed and been changed? I know people in their business 
who have started realizing the fact that the service of the poor and the forgotten and the downtrodden is not just the work for a charity organization and it's not just the work for a 501c3 or the United Way or an NGO out there, that that is all of our calls. And they started asking the question, what does it mean to go to work thinking in this kind of way? And they've gone there, and I know doctors and dentists who have started saying that it may not be the best thing for our financial bottom line, but we're going to start seeing Medicare patients and Medicaid patients, and we're going to start even looking at ways to see uninsured patients. We are going to find ways to reach out to make that happen, because while it's not going to be the most profitable way to run our practice, we're not operating on just that one bottom line. We need to start thinking of a multi-bottom line approach and realizing that the call of the kingdom of God is for doctors and teachers and lawyers and stay-at-home dads and stay-at-home month just as much as it is for the missionaries who we support in East Austin and Cuba and beyond. They've started thinking in those ways. They've started asking questions in those ways. And it has inspired and challenged me to hear those stories. We need to keep telling those stories so that all of us think in those terms, asking the question, Lord, how do you want me to go to school? Why do you have me in school here? Why do you have me living here? Why do you have me at work where I do? I want to live for something larger than just my own gain. Because in the end, the resumes and the accomplishments and the GPAs and the Lifetime Achievements Awards and the boards that you sit on, it is all going to fade away. And the question will be, what eternal thing did you stand for in life? And did you embody? And there are people who are asking that question now, not just when it's too late to do too much about it. This is the kind of community we want to be. This is a place of joy and purpose that we want to encourage one another to be a part of. Pay attention to stories this week. And lastly, while we want to tell stories, I know Fuller's also going to talk to us about how we need to be a people of prayer. That God is going to have to interrupt the patterns of our life because we get so entrenched in how we live that it is actually going to take a miraculous work of the Spirit to interrupt and make us consider our lives and our work differently. And so there's a prayer that I'm inviting this church to pray this week. Every individual... Every family, every couple, no matter where you live, I invite you to pray this prayer this week for this to be our collective prayer together. It's a prayer that we pray in the Daniel house, in the nuttiness of Wednesday morning. We pray this prayer every morning. We pray it every night. It's a prayer taught to me by my late friend and mentor, Steve Hayner. He prayed this every day, and I've shared this with many of you before. This is what he prayed every morning. He said, the first thing, number one, Help me to see the world today the way that you see it. I need you to write this down. Take a picture. I'm going to assume you're not texting. You can take a picture. The, there are three things that can come up on the screen. We're going to pray this this week. Lord, this week, help me. Today, help me to see the world the way you see it. Not in my fragmented, siloed world. Not in the ways I have my work hat, my faith hat, my, my at-home hat, my parenting hat, my everything else. Help me to see the world from your perspective. Help me to, to see the world the way that you see it. Secondly, Help my heart to break by what breaks your heart. Help my heart to break by the injustice and the loneliness, the fear that exists in every corner of our society. Help me to see the world the way that you see it. Help my heart to break by what breaks your heart. And lastly, help me not to duck. Help me not to assume that someone else is going to take care of it. Help me not to assume that some organization steps in and specializes in this. 
Help me not to assume that someone else is going to stop at the side of the road or stop because their schedule is not as busy as my schedule is and I've got so many things on my to-do list to get done today. God's call it sometimes is going to be decidedly inconvenient to your to-do list. But this is what it means to pray and to seek out living God's call seven days a week, a holistic perspective of life and living that will bring joy and challenge and fulfillment. May we embrace the opportunity to be a part of a community that encourages one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we play. And we pray this together. Amen.